Welcome back to the Wine Stains podcast for episode 10. Today we are going to be talking about some of the fundamental differences between branding and marketing and how you can leverage both to ultimately grow your business. So let's get into it. Oh my gosh, that was such a, that was such an episode, that was an episode, episode, wow. (laughs) Yeah, trying to joke me, can't talk. That was such an episode one intro, I thought we moved past that. Well, this was our second take, admittedly, because what happened? So anyways, um, (laughs) welcome back to the Wine Stains podcast. Uh, This is episode Diaz, as Caitlin was referring to, and I believe this is quite the milestone for us to be able to eclipse 10 episodes and actually have some semblance of consistency here. Yeah, we made it. I think it's great to always celebrate, you know, anytime you're starting a new venture, any little uh, consistency markers along the way. So cheers to 10 episodes. Cheers to 10 episodes. We just had our... um, our first pumpkin spice cold brews of the season. So that was pretty exciting. Um, Caitlin also just won her first match of a club member member doubles, right? That's yeah. what it's called. Club member member doubles. So that's exciting. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who she played. I mean, I mean, it could have been someone with a torn meniscus and a lady. Oh my gosh. It was hilarious though, because after they, so it was Caitlin who, uh, and another girl who very athletic people and they, the, the women that they play were just a little bit older, you know, it is what it is. But after the match, they come up to us and, um, you know, we're talking and, and nothing against it, but just like the first thing out of their mouth. Well, you know, I, I, I got a torn meniscus, you know, my shoulder, this, that, this, but Hey, not, no, no, that's not an excuse. Right. I was like, lady, you've just spent the last five minutes talking about an excuse. You, you, you that, that is an excuse. I thought yeah, it was pretty well, funny. Yeah, I know. You know, it gets competitive out there. It does get Everybody competitive, Everybody wants man. to win. It's like not friend. It it starts out as real friendly tennis, but in it, there's a lot of like Dude, you can mumbling. cut the tension with a butter knife. I came there and because you guys had to move your match from this evening to this afternoon. And it was just thick of just women and estrogen and dare I even munch on a crouton to disrupt the flow oh and focus. Oh my gosh, it's not quite that bad. But it every, was that bad. Just nobody wants to lose. No one wants to feel embarrassed or feel like they don't know what's going on. And, you know, if you've played, it's a lot to keep track of, especially if you're newer to playing and like, you know, keeping track of all the games and the sets. And so everyone just gets overwhelmed mid-match. It was I a think. lot, man. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I was having heart palpitations just sitting on the sideline. It was, it, it felt like I was at the freaking Wimbledon final. Oh my gosh. Um, so, but anyway, you won the match. Um, match. You had a celebratory Michelob Ultra, which I put, which I poured for you, which by the way, on the topic of beer pouring, I'm just going to say it um, bubbles. So when you open up a beer, so this is a whole thing. Like people try to, when they pour a beer, they, they tilt the glass ever, you know, the, the perfect angle with no foam. Actually, that's the incorrect way to pour a beer. And I've been on the soapbox now for quite some time. I, I mean, I haven't had a, well, I've had like non-alcoholic beers, but I'm just saying 
When you open up and you pour the beer straight in, get some of that foam, it allows the gases to open up, which is actually better for your stomach. So when people are like, you know, ah, oh, man, you put you get the bubbles and foams in my beer. It's actually the right way to pour a beer. So that's oh, all I'm going to say. Okay. But people think it's so cool when you know, oh, that, mo- that person must know how to pour a beer. No, that's actually the incorrect okay. way. Okay, I, I do feel the need to push back on this because is it the best, like, for your body? I understand that. But then what about for the taste of the beer? Because I would think you would want to keep a lot of the How gases in taste? it. So if you are someone who likes a more effervescent beer, like I do, it's you still like gonna it a taste the same. Bubbly. It's still going to taste the same. I guess everybody can t- do their fact checking and we can debrief. Well, there's a great video that that's made its way around the interwebs. The guy that did bar rescue, he, he he's the one that confirmed what I learned a while ago. And he was at the bar and he poured it and he, he stuck a tissue in the beer that was uh, poured incorrectly. And you saw it expand and basically said, well, this is what it does inside your stomach. And then the other beer that had some foam on it, the gases expanded, settled for a second or two. It just went straight in and the tissue was not affected. So for all those people who think they're cool pouring beers, with no foam, you're hurting your stomach. Yeah, I just don't think there. it's necessarily like the right and the wrong way, but I'm with you that if you are someone who, like me, can be a little bit more sensitive to beer, then yeah, you might as well pour it the way that you're saying because it's going to has a higher likelihood of making you feel better. Yeah. So, so speaking of beer growing up, one of my favorite commercials was the Anheuser-Busch commercials with the, uh, the, the, the horses, the Anheuser-Busch horses. Yeah. We know what, what, what kind of horse, what were those horses? Clydesdale. Clydesdales with the Clydesdale horses. Um, and of course, uh, we're in Virginia. We've got Busch Gardens, um, Anheuser-Busch, uh, that I, I never, no, wait, is that the same thing? Yeah. It's, I think it's Anheuser-Busch. No, it's Bush not Anheuser-Busch Gardens. Gardens, but I'm pretty sure Anheuser-Busch is a direct of Busch Gardens. How, how do we not know this? No, that's what I'm saying. But I just said they're related. Then you said they're not related. Oh, but then Busch Gardens. But is it's not Bush. Anheuser-Busch Gardens. It's just Busch Gardens. Right. But I think that they're the bushes. The bushes. B u s c h. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So the the bushes, Anheuser-Busch, the Clydesdales. Now, Caitlin, is that an example of marketing or branding? Because every time I saw that. I, even as a young toddler, I probably a seven or eight year old, I thought, man, I could crush a bush heavy right now. Okay. So that is a really good question. And I see what you did there. I like that segue. <laughs> I'm the king uh, of the segue. Good segue. So much so I'm actually sponsored by Segway. Oh my gosh. I, I had a feeling that was coming. Anyways, um, you know, that's a tough one to answer. I think my first instinct would be to say that it's marketing because it's a form of a campaign. But this is kind of like something that I felt like I wanted to talk about just you in this episode just you want to talk well about it? my my opinion mm. towards this episode sure. towards our episode sure is that they are often so intertwined that it's hard to determine like what anheuser-busch no. and clyde sales <laughs> no marketing and branding marketing and branding yeah, sure. yeah yeah i mean i those commercials specifically are marketing they're like doing a marketing campaign the horses are a part of that versus the anheuser-busch brand like their logos their colors their fonts you know the the way that they tend to otherwise um, appeal to their audience, the way that they make their audience feel, the emotion involved, I, that is more on the branding side. What do you think, Connor? Well, first off, you're going to have to tell me the difference between branding and marketing. Well, I kind of just did. So branding is more about a feeling. It's about reputation. It's your visual identity, but it's also the way that your brand communicates verbally. So like getting into things like copywriting and brand messaging the voice, the tone, all of the things that play into the personality or the character of your brand, which is then applied to the way that your brand markets itself. Mm. 
So that's quite confusing for a simple-minded man like myself. Uh, but in terms of what I would say the Budweiser commercial is, um, it, would, it would be marketing, right? Yeah. It would be marketing. So. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but still, so is brand more something that I feel like when I when I see, for example, that dumb little gecko um, on those Geico commercials, I get angry. Well, not really. I'm just trying to think of an example. But like, um, is is so? But like, his brand has something that makes me feel like I, when I when I see the Coca Cola commercials, and I, I I feel like that desire. Like I feel really good. I want an ice cold Coca Cola on a Saturday afternoon after playing golf. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is tapping into like identity and aspiration in the sense, like, for example, you're wearing a Land Rover trucker hat right now and Yeehaw! we both really like the Land Rover brand and I've used it in different marketing case studies or brand case studies before because they have this kind of like rugged vibe to them, but it's also like sophistication mm. and luxury. I have been described as sophisticated r rugged. So it's like how that brand's identity, like who they are, their core essence, essentially how it makes their potential customers feel. Mm. And that's where it plays into everything like color palette, the fonts that are being used. All of that is ultimately communicating a message. So I am branded out right now though. So can I just go through my fit? Can I do a fit check right now with some, I, of, my, with this, some of my favorite brands? Uh, sure. And this reminds me of, I think it was like either episode one or two where we talked about like the uniforms and stuff yeah. and like, but this is what I love. It's like, you're someone who's not really in the branding or marketing world, but you like love brands. Like you're, you're a big brand guy. Yeah. I'm a big brand guy. Yeah. So can I, can I yeah, talk about my, it. can I do a fit check real you quick? You can do a fit check. So, uh, just talking about brands. So I got my Veja. What, what numbers are these? Do you know like what the shoe is called? Like your stand V10, I think your Veja V10, which is like your standard Veja. Like which you've worn for a long time. Now. White leather, black V. Um, they're my fa they're they're my favorite sneaker brand at the moment, and then I've got these dope Patagonia joggers on that were way too expensive, but they are fly. As a you, you bought know them what. for your hike. I bought them for my hike. Didn't use them on my hike. And actually, uh, side note: um, when I finished my hike, I put on shorts because it was warm when I was hiking, and we all went up to the top of the mountain. But the top of the mountain's like fifteen or twenty degrees cooler, so I was freezing my butt off. And everyone else Should've was like, your pants. but everyone else was wearing like these cool pants and stuff, and I felt like such a loser because I had so my legs were swollen with like lactic acid, and I had these short shorts on. I looked like they were booty wow, shorts. Connor. It was horrible. What what shirt are you wearing, Connor? Let's move so, on. So Patagonia <laughs> joggers with a Lululemon um, like athletic tee, my Land Rover uh, cap, my Garmin, oh, <laughs> my Garmin, Garmin yep, again. yep, yeah, my Garmin, work it in there. my Garmin Phoenix 7X Solar Sapphire, my Kalo ring, which Kalo was like the first big brand to have the rubber rings. You know what I mean? Yep. And I feel like there's now some competition, but I'm still rocking with the Kalo. It's great, and um, that's pretty much. But again. These are brands that when I put on my Vegas or when I put on my Patagonia, it makes me feel a certain way. Totally. It makes me feel better than anyone else in the world. That was supposed to be kind of a they, joke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't think I'm better than anybody. Yeah. But I glazed over that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I think I was thinking about I just about feel what I was better than say. you. I feel better oh than you God. and better than you will ever feel Something ever in your life. Something to learn about Connor is his like joke, sarcastic voice often does not sound very joke sarcastic so mm. you know you're just like is he serious but honestly so but even so let me let me bring up vejas for a second so veja like on their site is like um like 100 percent renewable whatever i honestly i care about the environment but i didn't buy the shoes 
because of that. I honestly, I saw all these celebrities wearing them and I was like, those look dope. Love a good white leather sneaker. So talk to me about like, can we talk about that for a second? How sometimes like when companies like Veja, they put all this work and this effort into renewable. I mean, it, it's a cool story to tell. And obviously with me being a mountain man and a, and a hiker and laugh. a person that is so one with nature, I honest, I love that. So maybe even more, so maybe, maybe this subconsciously, like my, my, my initial purchase did not, I didn't really care about that. But now that I'm wearing it, now the brand story like means something to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Again, it's part of like identification. Identity. You, it's the identity. You yes. see something in the brand that you see in yourself, mm. which like a successful brand is, is thinking of that. The founders are either rooted in that identity themselves and they're bringing a piece of them into it and also trying to identify what's important to the target audience and pulling from that. Like, um, you know, a lot of people who are going to come to copy uncorked are going to also either be wine enthusiasts themselves, or they can at least just appreciate it. They it's like a community. Like, and people, people build community around brands. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think like identity, Louis Vuitton's not going to be sold in REI. Right. Exactly. That would be a great example of branding versus you're, marketing. Yep, you're welcome. Yeah, totally. You have this glitter in your eye. Please expound upon this. Oh, me? Keep, um, keep chatting it up. Yeah. So I think like we, I just listened to something that you played about that Donald Miller was saying, talking about branding and marketing. And, um, you know, I don't like, I'm not like a, a diehard story brand person, but it was a big part of, um, I don't know, I guess initial stuff that I paid attention to. And I do think he always has just such a great way of communicating things really clearly and succinctly. And he was saying how you should really, uh, spend 80% of your time and resources on marketing and 20% on branding. Wait, what do you mean by resources? 80% of your budget on marketing? Um, Com comparatively, like if you were looking at the two things, like are we spending more effort on branding or are we spending more okay, effort, effort on marketing? Okay, effort, not necessarily, because that's, well, that's not what I, sustainable. I meant resources, not just financial resources. Right. Resources can also be time and effort and things like that. Anyhow, and I hear what he is saying there because simply creating a brand and just like having this energy or this vibe or this personality or visual or verbal is not gonna go super far if you're not doing things to market, like create campaigns and run those Anheuser-Busch, Clydesdale commercials, mm. or like show up on social media or wherever you market yourself. But I don't feel like you can market super successfully without a brand. Without a brand. So it's so like- So it starts with a brand. I think it starts with a brand. And I think a brand is a living, breathing thing that continues to evolve and change over time because you, know, you do need marketing to be able to have a brand that makes people feel something. Because again, if there's no awareness, then the brand well, like you, can only so do so it's much. It's something that we say all the time in my industry. You know, you could be the greatest advisor in the world, but if you don't have anyone to talk to, then you're not helping anyone. And if you're not helping anyone, you're not making any money. And if you're not making any money, you're not paying the bills. And if you're not paying the bills, and then so there's a domino effect. So, you know, I think a lot of a lot of business owners or a lot of people who are starting these new entrepreneurial endeavors, they get super stoked about the idea, right? The idea, and then they create this cool brand with logos and colors and this and that. And then they stop to think, well, what actually actually is our service like what exactly are we what is the marketable th like what what are we taking to market right right and i mean especially in today's um you know influencer um 
what's the what's the term like, like today's influencer and um content creator content creator lifestyle mode lifestyle personal mode. Like, brand. yeah yeah in this whole we, like weird world that we're living in like um it's crazy how people can literally like your brand could be you dance on instagram and that's how you make like it's just there's so many different things but um it's how do you how do you market it and then once you market it and you've got some traction well then how do you scale it right but you can't scale or market anything unless you're solid on your brand which gets into what we've talked about your core values you know those things that don't necessarily make you money but actually make you money if that makes sense yeah i always kind of think of it as like uh brand marketing and business plan like if someone like uh comes to us for example and just had an idea or a vision or just want to make people feel this certain way and i mean I copy this and cool court, thing. Like, yeah. yeah or if let's just pretend we were a branding agency or something what would we call our branding agency I have no idea. The branding agency. We do trademark. We do naming, but it's a process. It's not something that's just like, oh, let's just spit out names. Um, mm. Anyhow, uh, you made me lose my train of thought. What was I saying? When someone comes to you with like this or that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, the idea itself is always rooted and inextricable from what the brand actually does. So like we would clarify, okay, what are your core offerings and how do we make people feel a certain way through that offering? Like even your example of someone like dancing on Instagram, that's kind of the initial business plan is like grow this audience, have the brand around being a content creator. Like the business plan is kind of wrapped up in that. Is this, are you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? I am, that it's yeah. like, um, yeah, it, it's those three things. So I always encourage people to first, yes, have the vision, um, get clear on kind of what the values are, like we talked about in the recent episode, uh, Fitness Challenges and Core Values. Figure out the vision and the values. Figure out how the business is going to make money. What is, what's the transaction that's ideally happening, kind of the bread and butter service um, or product or piece of content, whatever, whatever it is that's like the exchange of value at play. Give that an initial brand so it has a face and a voice, like create a character around it, market the brand, and then continue to refine the brand over time. And you, yes, continue to put resources into marketing the brand because if a brand just sits there without the marketing, then it's not going to expand and grow at all, if not as quickly as it could. Yeah, but with that being said, I mean, how, how many times do we make purchases in today's environment that the product might be inferior, but the branding is so sick that you're just like, oh, this is all like, like Freedom Moses. I mean, and, and like, well, actually their branding, I mean, well, the name's super cool, but they're no Birkenstock, right? But right. I bought a pair because they look cool and I thought that they were the cool thing, but when I put them on, I don't think they're for me. I don't think that I can, you know, necessarily do that. Um, but there are instances of course, where, you know, if the brand is dope, people just buy it, you know, but obviously that's not sustainable if it's a crap product. Um, yeah, no, I mean, um, in one of the brand voice case studies that we've been but doing, I'm not saying freedom is a crap product. I still rock them. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, but yeah. I, you know, but that's just an example of like the branding was cool. So I bought them, but I should have just like, you know, if, if I wanted that kind of style, that was going to be durable. Birkenstock is the way to go. Yeah. And I think it's like, branding is often the differentiator. So it's like if two uh, fake Birkenstock companies are marketing to you and you have two different options, you're ultimately going to choose and purchase the one whose branding lines you with like your identity. Better. Yeah. Exactly. Which one makes you feel more connected to it. So mm. yes, you have to market to get in front of somebody, 
but then you use the branding as the thing that actually pushes people further to action. Which, which goes back into you, you need to know your avatar, right? You need to have an avatar for the, the target demographic that you're serving. And it doesn't have to be everybody. Like there's, there's a saying like niches in, or there's riches in the niches. So if you can niche down and say, okay, I'm going to focus on the, like this particular group of people, and I'm going to have the best product or service that that group of people needs, you're going to kill it. And it's like one of those things where even if you take a look at the the percentages where, okay, if I reach one or if I reach 5% of that demographic, that's going to be so much more efficient. That's going to generate much larger revenue per sale, per case, per this, per service, whatever. And then having this wide moat of these random people coming in and having to switch up your processes, switch up your systems and this and that. Like I'll have people come into my office or reach out all the time that we're just not a good fit to work for with their particular season in life. Now, does that mean that I'm giving up revenue? In that moment, sure, I'm, I'm willing to give. Now, it's not the easiest thing, depending on the, whatever it is, but you have to be willing to give up some revenue to maintain your brand identity and be the expert in your field, whatever that is, whether it's copywriting, whether it's finance, whether it's gizmos and gadgets and whatever. Yeah, and I think people like get up in arms about the term niche sometimes because they're maybe in a business like ours where we, we don't necessarily have a super defined niche. Like we'll work with a boutique hotel, we'll work with a wedding photographer, we're kind of across the board. We're not necessarily like just copywriters for X, but what we look for is a certain like fit. Which is, you know? a, which is, a, which is part of the, the, is it, you said niche, you say niche, I say niche. Yeah, I think that's tomato, part of, that's part tomato, of, the, part potato, of the debate. Potato. Yeah, so a lot of it is just specificity, having a clear idea of who you're speaking to, like who is the ideal reader, the ideal person that is gonna be like, yes, I identify and I align with this. And then in the process of that, being okay with realizing that it's, not going to be for everyone and something we're in the process of revamping a lot of our educational materials and one thing that i feel like i learned from about copy uncorked gotta specify yeah for copy uncorked and one thing that i feel like i learned from the first two years of having those courses and programs is that we didn't necessarily get clear enough on who the niche was and who it was for so part of redoing it is kind of adding in more things to turn people away and to actually repel people so that we can have a really high success rate with the people that we have identified like this particular group with these you know certain aspects or attributes of their their business their revenue their interests they're the ones who are going to have the highest likelihood of success with this product so even if you um, market to multiple like industries or niches it's all identified with kind of like this solid specific vision of a particular type of person i guess so like like when you worked for Lululemon, it was Duke, right? Duke and who was the girl? Yeah, that's. I think they've actually um, an ocean. I oh, think Duke they've gotten away from some of that because I think they got some flack for just how specific those customer avatars were. That almost like I guess felt yeah pretentious or whatever. Oh but gosh. back in the days when Boo-hoo. I worked for Lululemon, yeah, there were uh, specific customer avatars of Duke and Ocean and like, you know, how much they were making and where they lived and what type of jobs they had and like mm. um, very specific profiles. That That's actually my pet name. Caitlin calls me the Duke. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She does and I not. call her my Ocean. Um, so it's like not getting into some of these like frilly things that may or may not make a difference, but some of them do. Like even kind of knowing what type of stuff your potential audience is reading or what type of tv shows they watch like i mean there's there's literally marketing companies that you can pay 
that will it, it's freaky how much data is out yeah. there on people like data revolution oh my god well that's so speaking of data revolution i i forget what i was listening to or who i was talking to but they were talking about like the the future wealth is in data right so like the more data that you can collect the more targeted you can be and the more targeted you can be the more efficient you're. i mean life is a series of dominoes whether it's going to go to the left or right it's up to you but then at the same time there's a lot of things that you can't control right so like um in our business we do facebook advertising we, but we also do like direct mail and we don't know who's going to show up to a marketing event, but it's for the most part within a realm of, you know, plus minus four or five things. So it is very, very targeted, but also, like I said, you can't necessarily control every, every outcome, but that's where you have to be resolute in your decision-making processes where again, like I just mentioned, sometimes you just got to say no to somebody, right? That's, and it's not just from a revenue perspective, but from a peace of mind perspective, from your team's perspective of, Hey, this isn't our, this isn't our wheelhouse, right? Why are, why are we doing this? Yeah. In the um, same way that in life, you can't be friends with everyone. Everyone's not always going to like you. Um, I disagree. <laughs> okay. But it's funny. Cause I feel like I've been trying to create more decisive content lately and when you do, you sometimes get pushback and you're like, oh, why did I? Oh, and everyone has a freaking opinion these why days, Why did I of invite course. that upon myself? Us included, but, <laughs> well, I mean, it's so funny. You and I were just talking about this where it's like, I'm just going to throw this challenge out there to people. Just don't be a mean person. And if you also don't like the brand, don't make it your mission to comment on things that you don't like don't be that person yeah, as long just move as towards the brands but, that you do like yeah move towards the brands that you don't like so or that you do like rather um and that's and that's also the cool thing too where you know even talking about identity like when you find those brands that you like you feel connected you feel part of something bigger you feel like you're within like like this whole community aspect of there's people like-minded people doing the same things like again i come back to even this little stupid garmin watch like i'm now following garmin on instagram and getting their newsletter and reading about other other people doing cool things that I want to do. And it also just gives you this exposure to other brands, exposure to other people, activities, adventures that your world just enlarges by finding those brands and you get connected into. Um, uh, yeah, it's humanizing yeah. the brand. It's, it's humanizing just, the yeah. brand now. Now, also at the end of the day, too, I mean, this is a big problem even um, with uh, in golf right now where you've got the PGA Tour and you've got the Live Tour, the LIV Tour. And the LIV Tour, which is this new, it, their slogan is like golf but louder. So it's this really new age. I, I think it's the future of golf, but the biggest thing right now is it's Saudi based or Saudi backed, right? So there's all this money being pumped in from the Saudis and that then there's ethical and moral dilemmas and this and that. And, but people are aligning with the brand and now they're willing to overlook a lot of the negative stuff. Like, you know, follow the money. Where's this money coming from? Who are, who are we supporting by purchasing this? Right? So, I mean, obviously that's getting super convoluted, and you can drive yourself crazy because you obviously can't control everything that a brand does. Or, I mean, even Lululemon had their craziness um, over the past couple of years with their CEO going out or whatever based on remarks. And um, you just, it's never going to be perfect, but there are really, really cool brands out there. There's actually a, a website that I, I listened to. I was listening to a podcast. It was a commercial where you can actually find brand, like type in sort of your core values, you know, what's important to you, whether it's, you know, if you're a Christian and you're looking for a company that has Christian values or this or that, um, and they'll like give you a list of companies that that's cool. I forget what it's called, but, um, 
at any rate, let's talk about some let's talk about some examples from you and I in terms of branding and yeah. One and, thing and that identity. I want to say real quick before that too is just like what you were talking about with target audience and niche or fit and getting more specific is again something that comes into play both on the branding side and on the marketing side. Like that's part of initial brand strategy where you're going beyond just you know, arbitrarily choosing a logo or colors, you're thinking about who you're communicating to, what they value, like where that overlaps with what your brand values and using things like color psychology to communicate Ooh, what a is message. color psychology? What the heck is that? Each color like has, you know, things that it's known for and that communicate certain feelings and mm. vibes. And so it's like the mood ring. Bring maybe. mood rings back. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure about they never 2022. Really, they never really worked. But um yeah, so that is definitely You're telling me all that when the, you got a mood ring, you never got like stoked on it and like I mean they were cool, but I'm saying like I don't think if I got mad my mood ring turned red and I don't think if I was happy it was like yellow. I think it was black as as anger. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll have wine stains, mood rings. Well, color psychology is <laughs> And it'll is turn similar. red when you want a, a glass of red wine and white when you yeah, want a glass of white wine. That's perfect. It's like color associations. And again, all of that is kind of on the brand strategy side. But then, <laughs> oh, that oh wasn't a gosh. wine spill, but it was an equipment fall. It wasn't a wine spill. <laughs> but if we if we were drinking wine, it definitely would have been a wine spill. Jeez, Louise. Um, anyhow, so you need to know that stuff on the front end when you're doing... Um, the branding and the brand strategy, but then it comes up again. So if you're running Facebook ads or any type of marketing campaign, you obviously have to know who you're specifically trying to get that in front of or what people are coming, like for us with writing things like website copy or landing pages or sales pages, it's all about like trying to figure out, okay, where are these people coming from? Who are they? And what message do we need to greet them with once they get here? It's why like in the Super Bowl, you know, commercials are tailored to the Super Bowl, like, because they know what the audience is coming there with the expectation. Yeah. You, you just brought up a really good point. When you were talking, I looked up the top 10 commercials of all time. Yeah. The top 10 greatest TV commercials. Okay. Number one is Apple 1984. I don't know that one. Do you know that one? No, but I number, mean. number two is Wendy's. Where's the beef? You know that? One? Where's the beef? Yeah. Before our time. Number three is Tootsie Pop, the how many licks? How many licks does it take? Wait, that's not a jingle, but just how yeah. many? One, two, three, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, Budweiser, no, Coca-Cola, Meet Joe Green. Don't remember that one. Don't remember that one. We should do a live reaction to the top 10 uh, commercials of all time from qualitylogoproducts.com, <laughs> which now I'm questioning the source here. Um, but we should react and like give our take on um, like brand strategy, like what we felt in that moment with color psychology. <laughs> you know what I mean? We should actually. That would that would be that would be pretty. Those are like huge on YouTube now. Like um, copywriter reacts. Yeah, that's to, that book that I had at the the brand shoot. That actually one of my writers told me about the copy book. It's like all these. Um, copywriting ads and stuff like over the years like because you know the history of advertising yeah so number five is is, so is, is budweiser Rude. not the clydesdales it's the weather <laughs> which throwback shout out to the office when the guy comes in trying to sell phones and then jim pretends he's michael scott jimbo what what's that what's that Anyways, then number six was McDonald's, the showdown. Don't know about that one. Number seven, Energizer, um, Escape the Bunny. I'm, I'm, that's the pink bunny, I imagine. Number eight is Old Spice, the man your man, the man your man could smell like. Those are pretty good commercials. And then number nine was Always. What's Always? Uh, I think tampons. A, yeah, f- yeah. A like brand. a girl. 
Yeah. Um, so those are the top 10. Well, that's according to Alyssa Mertes, August 24th. Oh, that's a, it just came out. And also yogurt maker Chibani said it is withdrawing its previously delayed IPO. Okay. Anyhow. Just got the notification <laughs> okay. for all you yogurt lovers out there. Okay. So what did you say before I came Some real life examples of branding and, and, and marketing from like from copy uncorked. Um, and by the way, can people, do you have courses and stuff that people like, can you help people out with this? Uh, with the branding side, for sure. That's where, um, like when you're looking at a company to hire and where I do see what Donald Miller is talking about is it's like identifying, okay, do we have a branding problem? Or do we have a marketing problem? Like, are we not getting in front of people and we need to market better and our brand is fine? Like once they get here, the brand is good enough and resonates with them enough to convert them? Or do we have a branding problem? You know, we have a lot of marketing, but the brand itself is just not up to par or the the kind of core vision or the core identity of the company has changed or shifted in some way or you're trying to attract a new or different audience and the current branding isn't speaking to it. So a lot of what we do is on the branding side. We're coming up with the verbal identity of the brand while you might also be working with a brand designer who's coming up with those visual elements like logos, colors, et cetera. There can often be overlap in those two things. Like a lot of our messaging work covers brand strategy and some brand designers also cover brand strategy, which gets a little bit deeper into some of those things like we talked about, like target audience and stuff like that. You okay? Or, you okay? <laughs> I forget to breathe. You know this. Whenever I'm working, I always just like randomly will be like, <sighs> and Connor's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I just forgot to breathe. Just forgot yeah. to breathe. So, you, so I, I think we can land the plane there then in terms of the difference between branding, marketing, some cool examples, what you should do, what you should be thinking about yeah. for new brands and even established companies or people that are just kind of getting their feet wet and thinking about where do yeah. you start, that kind of deal. Yeah, like even just a lot of the deliverables that we do fall on the branding side because it's brand messaging guides. It's the website copy, which yes, is a marketing tool, but we're kind of first building a foundation that then you can use to market from. Mm. So whether that's like hiring a social media team, whether that's blogging regularly, whether that's running Facebook ads, whatever it is, we're trying to use the website as like the engine for you to be able to make the most of your marketing efforts. Take that piggy to market. <laughs> yeah. What is your so. piggy? There you go. That's the question of the week. What is your piggy? What what, what are you taking to market? Mm, I don't think that's how it goes. This, it's this little piggy. Goes went to, to the farmer's market. The, the piggy went to the market. He didn't take anything to the market with him, I don't think. He took his. <laughs> he took, he himself. took himself to the market. <laughs> That's good enough for me. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So that does it for this week's episode of Wine Stains. Thank you so much for listening. You can find um, more information, past podcast episodes at winestainspod.com. Give us a like, subscribe, stay up to date with our infrequent frequency. There you go. That's pretty good. Um, you can also find more about uh, Caitlin and her company, Copy Uncorked, at copyuncorked.com, me at parkerfg.com, and also our Wine States Pod on Instagram, and also Wine States Pod on YouTube. We are just coming into the. <laughs> A lot of channels. Into the channels, man. A lot they of they channels. call us satellite TV because we in so many channels, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, man. Okay. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Hope you have a great rest of your day, night wherever you I don't are know that I, I don't and, know that I uh, wish that I don't know I don't know these people that are listening I don't know oh if I want them to have gosh, a great night no I'm just kidding we? have a great night crush it in life crush it in business and we'll see you on the next one bye